So in the midst of our heated national political debate concerning gun control, one pundit recently threw gasoline on the fire by offering a quote presumably attributed to Adolf Hitler when he said, to conquer a nation, one must first disarm its citizens. To conquer a nation, one must first disarm its citizens. I do not at this time wish to enter into the debate regarding gun control. We do need an intelligent gun policy that somehow fully respects our Second Amendment rights and somehow gets the guns out of the hands of evil people. It's a complicated question. And the debate's going to continue. What I do intend to do this morning, however, is to exploit your sudden awareness of Hitler's thought. To conquer a nation, one must first disarm its citizens. I don't think that that originated with the Third Reich. I think that came from Satan. I think uh, had C.S. Lewis had a little more time on the earth, there may have been a, a sequel to the screw tape letters. And there may have been a, an exchange between screw tape and wormwood that went something like this. In order to conquer the church, we must first disarm its citizens. Satan has been stripping the church of its power by convincing us that there's none to be had, or at least very little to be had. And so we've settled for something far less than the picture of the church in the book of Acts. I mean, I think everybody would agree that there's a certain amount of power left in the church because we agree that really nobody becomes a Christian except by the power of God. Nobody really decides to be saved. God does that to us, doesn't he? How many of you, like me, tried to run away? How many have tried to resist? Resistance is futile. Paul said it this way in Romans 1.16. He said, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God. It's the power of God to salvation to everybody who believes. And so we have to say that at the core, there is still some power left in the church. Otherwise, nobody would be coming to Christ. And we also are aware of stories, and some of us have had pretty remarkable experiences along the way, kind of under the trickle of God's power. But I think if we're really open about it, that when we lay our heads down on our pillows at night, we would have to say that the present iteration of the Church of Jesus Christ bears very little resemblance to the power that is consistently demonstrated in the book of Acts. Am I right? I think there may well be a rally in hell going on right now where Satan and his minions are chanting one of their favorite mantras, in order to, the con- in order to conquer the church, we must first disarm its citizens. We must strip believers of their power. I don't know about you, but I've had just about enough of it. 
(laughs) Is anybody on this same page with me? I've had enough of Satan's plan to empty the church of its power and to reduce us to a benign religious organization along with the others in the world. I'm sick of it. I'm done with it. And I'm sick of seeing you guys get pushed around. I'm sick of seeing you guys be oppressed by the enemy and some of you even ruled by him. I'm tired of it. I'm sick of seeing so many expressions of Satan's plan, his agenda, his strategic agenda to visit evil on every good thing that God wants to develop in his church. I've had just about enough. I hope you have too. So that's where I am today. So today I want to launch a four-part series of messages and ministry time that follows called Kingdom Authority. I want, to, I want to try to answer four questions for you. First of all, what is kingdom authority? I mean, what is this thing you're even talking about? Second, what does it do? What, what's the purpose of kingdom authority? What are the options? What's the potential of my life in an expression of kingdom authority? Third week, I want to approach the question, well, how do I get some of this? How do, I, how do I become involved? How do I get caught up in the flow of the kingdom of God, the expression of the kingdom of God, and the expression, the personal release of kingdom authority over the things that I face in my life? And then uh, number four, okay, once I get it, what, what do I do with it? How do I, how do I pull the trigger on the power that God puts into my hands? Are you interested? Let's ask the Lord to come and help us. Lord, we bow now in the name of your son, Jesus. And Lord, there are a lot better things that we could do today than practice our religion. There are a lot more exciting and meaningful things that we could do than just check off the box of going to church today. And so we don't want any part of that. We don't want to sing songs till we're done singing songs, listen to the man until the man stops talking, and then go on to things that We're not affected by other of that stuff, but we just pray, God, now, for the manifest presence of your Holy Spirit in this room. Enough. We're just saying enough. Enough powerlessness, enough destruction, enough deception, enough oppression, enough addiction, enough. In the name of Jesus, we say enough. And we look to you this morning, Lord, knowing that we can't get to where we want to go by words. We can't get by, there by clever schemes or the right songs or the right sermons. We can only get there by your power, God, and by the invitation of your Holy Spirit. And so we turn to you this morning, Lord, and say as we advance through, through the these series of teachings and these gatherings together, Lord, it would just be a terrible thing if they were good. And we walked away going, good worship, good sermon, good. God, rescue us from this. We don't need good music. We don't need good sermons. We need you. We need you, God. We need you. We need you and your thundering presence. We need you. We need you to make it real again. We need you. We need you to cause us to stand against these things that oppose us, these forces of evil, these dark darkness in this present age. We need you, God. 
And we need to sh- you to show us the way from the places wherever we are to the place where that is. I love this church, Lord. I love this church. I love every person in this church. And I cannot stand by another minute and see them lose the battles that they fight. So we invite you to come now. Turn up the flame in this place, Lord. Turn it up. On a cold, sleepy day, turn it up, God. Get hold of our hearts. You have our attention. You have our minds. Now get hold of our hearts. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, today I want to I take some time to address the question, what is kingdom authority? What am I even talking about? I have five answers for you. Number one is kingdom authority is the permission and the power God gives us to continue to do the things Jesus did while he was here on the earth. It's the permission and it's the power to do the things that Jesus did when he was here. Have you been reading the Bible thing? Have you given the Gospels? Jesus did some pretty amazing stuff, yes? Repeatedly, consistently, Jesus did amazing things. And then he made this audacious statement recorded in John 14, verse 12, where he said, I'll tell you the truth. If you have faith in me, you'll do what I've been doing. You'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, how many of you, like me, have pondered, joined people of the centuries who have pondered, what could we possibly do that was greater than what Jesus did? Uh, that's out there. And that's that's. Uh, that's been room for a lot of discussion over the centuries. And, you know, some have said that what he was talking about was salvation, was the proclamation of the saving message of Jesus, because until Jesus died and rose again and ascended to the Father, even Jesus couldn't do that in his form. And that makes perfect sense to me. But I think it's, it's a tricky verse, because while we spend so much time on the second half wondering, well, what could it mean greater things, we gloss over the first part where he says, you'll do what I've been doing. And I think the enemy could trick us into spending so much time scratching our heads and staring at our navels trying to figure out what the second half of that verse means when we don't even need to worry about that until we accomplish the first half. Jesus said, if you have faith in me, you'll do what I've been doing. Are those the words of the Bible or are they not? They are. And here we are. We are people of faith. We are Christians. And we are seeing that by agreement we believe the words of the Bible. And so Jesus said, you'll do what I've been doing. And so kingdom authority is the permission that God gives to you as a believer and the power God gives to you as a believer to continue to do the things that Jesus did. Including speaking with authority. How many times were Jesus teaching and people were going, whoa, where did this teaching come from? He speaks as one with authority he's not just moving his mouth it's not the same platitudes that we've heard from the pharisees from the rulers all these this is something powerful and believers we are meant to speak with power with authority so it starts there second kingdom authority is the strength and the confidence god gives us to stand against the schemes of satan how many of you are just about fed up with Satan? How many of you are just about fed up with habitual sin in your life? Like, 
Am I ever going to get out of this thing? Am I ever going to get out of this cycle? Well, let me share with you from Ephesians chapter 6. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mean I don't have to do this? Not only do you not have to, you can't. We can't. We cannot defeat Satan. If you look at the way the Scriptures describe authority in the heavenly realms, we are created a little lower than the angels. Satan, if you know its history, was an angel. We do not have the, the, the potential in our own selves to conquer Satan. So it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. This is the kingdom authority. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. There you go. So that you can take your what? Stand. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Wow. Good thing nobody told you that before you signed up to be a Christian. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, not if the day of evil comes, but when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take, stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. This is kingdom authority. This is something that God wants to give to us. Permission and power to continue to do the works of Jesus. The strength, the power, the authority to turn back Satan by the strength of God. Making sense so far? Are you digging this or is it just me? Number three. Kingdom authority is a redeemed version of the authority God originally intended to give us in the Garden of Eden. You get through the Bible and you get to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 16 and he makes us and he says, I'm going to give you dominion. I'm going to give you authority over the earth. That somehow God created us in his image to be his representatives of authority over all of creation. And then two brief chapters later, all hell breaks loose, literally. And Satan comes takes a, seizes a strategic opportunity in human history and says, did God really say? And shows himself to be not only a liar, but a good one, and a clever liar. And we fell. And we have all been born into the fall. We lost our authority. We lost our dominion. We've been screwing it up ever since. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ came to redeem all that. Jesus Christ came to redeem us from the curse. The curse took away our authority. Jesus Christ, His redemptive work on the cross, His shed blood, redeems us from the curse and offers us a restoration of the authority. We were made for this authority. Don't think it's strange that God is offering you authority. That's why he made you. Does this make sense? Don't think it's strange. I don't know about this. That's what you're made for. As you were made to breathe oxygen, you were made to receive a redeemed version of the authority that was broken in the garden. This is yours to have. 
Number four, kingdom authority is what Jesus gave to his disciples to go out and spread the gospel. I mean, we're all as good evangelical Christians here. We understand that it is somehow our role to go and help others find their way to Jesus, yes? We're missing, in most cases, an essential ingredient. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, the Bible says that Jesus called the twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. He gave them authority. As he sent them out to spread the gospel, he gave them authority to demonstrate the power of the gospel. This is kind of devolved over the centuries into, well, that's a nice feature to have if you're that kind of a church. This is the central feature of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a demonstration of his power. This is the central feature. Paul talks about these people who, they have a semblance of God's knowledge, but they lack the power. It's a perfect description of the 21st century American church. Jesus gave them authority as the central feature, as the evidence of its truth. And uh, King, this same kingdom authority is what Jesus commanded the apostles to pass on to us. In Matthew 28, verse 1, some of his parting words were, Hey, guys. That's in the Greek. Hey, guys. All authority, Jesus said, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, Jesus laid down all authority. Philippians chapter 2, he emptied himself, took on the form of a servant. He demonstrated the, possi- the potential of what it means to live in communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit working through you. Lots of theology there. But after then, his death and his resurrection, and he appears in the resurrected state, and he says to his disciples, all authority has been given to me. I've got it back. Because his work was finished. He's ready to ascend to the Father. All authority is... He said, therefore go. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'll always be with you. Who will be with you? The one who has authority. The one who's always giving us authority to bring the gospel, not as a matter of words, but as an expression of power. Kingdom authority, finally, is what God intends to give us as we take our seats in the realm of his kingdom. This is the thing I want you to get. Maybe more than anything else in the whole series. Kingdom authority is what God intends to give us as we take our seats in the realm of his kingdom. If you have a Bible and want to flip toward the back to Ephesians chapter 1. Verse, oh my goodness. Ephesians 1 verse 15. For this reason, obviously there's context there, do the work. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Christians in Ephesus. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is a very special relationship Paul has with the Ephesian Christians. I keep asking, here's what, here's what he's asking. I keep asking that the God 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you this spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Do you believe? Then at your disposal is the incomparably great power of God. Read on for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's a good kind of power to have access to, yeah? I don't know what it is you think you may ever face that will require more power than raising Jesus from the dead when all of Satan's forces were posed against it, but I'm pretty sure that's going to handle pretty much everything we're ever going to face. Oh, it gets better. He wants us to have this power, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Hold that thought far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. This is all authority. So this is first, you have to start here. The Jesus was seated, was raised, and ascended and seated with the Father with all overall authority. It gets better. As for you, all right, now, in context of that, as for you, you, Dennis Drummond, were dead in your transgressions and sins. Dead. Dead. You were just waiting to stop breathing. You were dead. In which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, it's a universal condition, all of us, Atul Pandey, also lived among them at the same time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of God's wrath. That's a universal condition. But, conjunction, but, because of his great love for us. Don't ever forget that. All of what I'm talking about is motivated by the love of God. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. (laughs) You can't buy this. You can't earn it. (laughs) On your best day, you're no better than your worst day. (laughs) You require the same amount of grace every day, right? Come on. And God raised us up. What? And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. What? Past tense? God, don't you mean will raise us up when we die? Don't you mean that that's going to be later? Well, that's not what it says. It says that because of all this, he died for us by grace we have been saved. And in the process, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Done. Finished. There are two references to being seated. The first is that Jesus was seated at the right hand of God. 
as the completion of his sacrificial redemptive work on the earth, he was seated at the right hand of God. And then the second seating is that we are seated with Christ. Let's start with the first one. The first seating is something that we call the ascension. We tend to downplay this in the Protestant church. It's one of my great respects for a mainline liturgical church is the observance of the church year and even Ascension Day. And, and even some Protestant churches still do a good job, but, you know, we're, we're out there, right? We're, we're the skin tag of the church. We're out there, you know, kind of. And so we're out there, and we just don't do this stuff. And one of the things that we have really lost on is an appreciation of the place of the ascension of Jesus. We talk about his life. We talk about his virgin birth. We talk about his sinless life. We talk about his voluntary sacrificial death. We talk about the power of his resurrection. Do we not? And then we say kind of, and he rose to the Father. And, and we kind of say that under our breath. Beloved, he rose to the Father. He ascended to the Father. He is seated with God again. He has taken, resumed his second position in the Trinity, second face of the Trinity. That's the ascension. There's some value in looking at the Greek words here. Uh, the, the Greek word that's used in the first reference is kathizo, which means to be seated by appointment. So it's not, you know, you just walk in and go, well, I'm going to say. But it's to be seated by appointment. And so Jesus Christ was seated by the appointment of God, resuming, returning to his second face of the Trinity, second person of the Trinity, completed the redemptive work. He is seated by appointment of God. The second seating that talks about us is soon kathizo. Sounds familiar, but what's that little deal there? Is seated together with, together with. So we are seated together with Christ. In other words, Christ went first and by his merits took his seat. But by his merits, causes us to be seated with him. His redemptive work is perfect so that you are now seated together with him. We are seated together with him. Being together with Christ, being seated with Christ is not just for people who need that. It's, it's, it's the redemptive state of being a believer is being seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Does that make any sense? Does that matter? Things can dramatically change when this truth is revealed to your heart. That you are now seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That by His work, He was appointed to be seated in His place. And that by His merits, His work, your acceptance of His work, your trust in Him, the fact that you have dynamic relationship with Him, you also are seated with Him. You are not Christ We are not Christ. We are only seated there by His merits, but we are fully seated there by His merits. Hello? We are fully seated there by His merits. Now the difference this makes can be stark because it can change the way you pray. I'm sure there are lots of ways to pray, but here's one way many, many people pray. God! God, God, God. kind of crafting some message, some hope, some desire, 
throwing it off into the eternal abyss and hoping that something in the Bible will pick it up. With all the desperation of a man lost at sea, putting a message into a bottle, throwing it, oh, I hope against hope that somewhere, somehow, someone finds this bottle. See, just a lot of people praying that way. The invitation for kingdom authority is to take your seat in the heavenly realms and to live in fellowship with the one who was appointed there on your behalf. And so when you pray, things change. The prayer becomes, first of all, very intimate, very close. You are not shouting off into the great eternal abyss, but that you are turning to the one with whom you are seated. And you are making your requests. And you are hearing from Him. And He is telling you what the Father is up to. So kingdom authority does this. It turns away by the authority of Christ. It turns away from Him and turns to the situation and says, In the name of Jesus, as one who is seated in the heavenly realms by the authority of Christ, I speak to you and be healed. That's kingdom authority. That's kingdom authority. And I want more of it. I'm batting in the minor leagues on this. I do not like my batting average. But I don't think it's because there's something wrong with the Bible. I think it's because we are asleep in the light. There's a bright light shining on us and the centuries have just put these masks over our eyes and we have learned how to sleep in the light. I want the masks to come off. I want to see. I want to see what the Father's doing. I want to bat a thousand, don't you? How do I begin to experience this? Well, it begins by agreeing to take your seat in the heavenly realm. By saying, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to live from there now. Jesus told this great story in Luke chapter 14, where he said, be careful about where you sit. He said, when you go rushing into a room, don't rush for the place of honor and sit up front and say, here I am, that's my seat, obviously. He says, because the master of the banquet may come, if someone more important than you comes, they might come and say, you know what? We're going to need you to move. He said, that would not be good. But he said, instead, do this. He said, take the lowest seat in the house and then wait. Wait for the master of the banquet to come to you and say, why are you sitting there? Please come. Please come to the seat that has been reserved for you. It's up here. As we come to Christ, clearly, we all take the low seat. We are, we are humbled before God. We are undone by our sin. We look to God. We say, I'm undone by my sin. I need your son, Jesus. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. If I never get more than a toilet brush, I'm fine, Lord. It's all good. Thank you for letting me into your kingdom. But the lie of the enemy is that that's all you're ever going to get. 
There you go. You just stay there. But as you come there, the Holy Spirit now says, you ready to take your seat? You ready to take your seat at the Lord's table? You have to step up to that. That's something that you have to come to. That's something you have to realize. And kingdom authority begins by taking your seat at the Lord's banquet table. That's a decision that you make. There are many, many, many of you sitting in the wrong seat. Oh, but this is my seat. This is my assigned seat. I'm just a worm. Really? The Bible says that you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The Bible says that you are a son and daughter of the living God through his merits. Is that a worm? (laughs) So take your place this morning. I want you to begin to take your place and begin changing the way you pray. Not as a desperate person adrift at sea hoping that somebody hears something, but as one who is seated in the heavenly realms with Christ by his merits, hearing his voice, experiencing the intimacy of his touch, hearing his voice tell you what the Father is doing so that you can then turn with authority and that you can bring the kingdom to bear. So it begins here. So when you come for communion today, which is, uh, if you're new here, is our first Sunday of the month, we, we like to celebrate communion on the first Sunday. I have obviously set it up a little bit differently than what you're used to. And instead of our card tables in the corners... This is a little bit fancy for us. But I want you to get a sense of what it is you're being invited to. To come up. To come up by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. To give up your seat of defeat. Give up your seat of failure. Give up your seat of oppression. Give up your seat of addiction. Give up your seat where those lies are rolling around in your mind all the time about who you are. That's the enemy. Give up the enemy's seat and take the seat that the Lord is offering you. And begin to live from that perspective. And so to help you do that, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to invite you, that as we take communion today, that you will actually climb all of three steps in our grand cathedral here (laughs) and come up to take these elements. Clearly, we've made provision for those of you for whom that is not physically viable today. <laughs> so we've, we've put this table here for you, of course. If you can't make the climb, still symbolically you're coming. You're coming and you're answering the call of God. Right? So what I want you to do is that as we worship and as we sing through some songs, I would like for you to come up. Come all the way up. Take a piece of the bread. Take a cup. And most likely return to your seats. But some of you, you may just want to step way out of the way and actually take the elements while you're up here. And that's really whenever you're ready. I'm not going to come back and have us all take it together today. I want you to have a time with Christ where you are saying, I accept my seat in the heavenly realms. Clearly, as as I said, if you're going to stay up here, you need to step away so that people can continue to flow through and we can uh, allow everyone to come to the table. Father God, we bow before you, and as our first response of ministry and kingdom authority, Lord, uh, I just want us all to take our seats. 
I don't want to just start praying for the sick today. I don't just want to start doing that. I don't want to do that. I don't think that's what you're saying. I think you're saying, let's all just take our seats, whether we're well or sick, whether we're strong or weak, whether this all makes sense or it's a confusing jumble. Let's just take our seats. Whether it's something that we long for or something that terrifies us, let's just take our seats in the heavenly realms with you. Lord, it's a pleasure to live from this space so close to you. I pray this for every person. I pray that every person would have that sense of honor that you have given to us to be seated with Christ in the heavenly realms with more revelation and wisdom about what it even means and how kingdom authority flows from that place. But now, Lord, as we come to your table, this thing that you called us to do, broken body, shed blood, the very center of our faith, the very thing that gives us confidence to pray to you at all. I pray that you'll come. And in the elements, Lord, that as we bring our individual faith, that you'll meet us. And that at the time of your choosing, each person will just meet you in taking this bread and taking this cup. And I pray, Lord, that in every way that the revelation of God would come to every person to see that they have a seat of honor by your choice and by the merits of your son, Jesus. And we come to this table confessing our sins, Lord. I am the chief, Lord. Forgive me of my sins, God. I'm ashamed of my sins, God. Please remove my shame by the blood of Jesus. Remove my guilt by the blood of Jesus. And for every one of us, we just come and we confess our sins to you and ask that Jesus Christ and his shed blood would be the price paid for our redemption today. Move among us as we approach this table now in the name of Jesus. Amen. I feel like I, I just want to pray for, for you wherever you are. It's really common to start arguing with the Lord about you don't belong seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. And I feel like, uh, I feel like we should pray about that. Lord, we are not deserving by our own merits to take this place of honor. Really, we say that to you. We are only reminded of our sins when we think about approaching such a place on our own. But Lord, either your Bible is true or it isn't. And we're counting on it being true. And so we lay claim to that truth that you made to us that let us enter into the most holy place with confidence by the new and living way made for us through the body of Christ, by his blood. And so it's by his merits and his life that we come to you, Lord. It's a mystery to us how you, how you can love us enough to apply the life of Christ to our lives. But we receive it. We receive it in love. And quietly this morning, we receive our seats of honor. Lord, I believe that when we receive these seats, our lives will never be the same. Never again. 
never again will we be conquered by these lies of Satan. I believe, O oh Lord, that by taking these seats this morning, that you are taking us to new and greater levels of expression of your power and your authority on the earth. And so quietly this morning, Lord, we receive your invitation to take up our seats of honor. Wow. Only by your Son, only in his name, we have no other. In the name of Jesus, amen.